Good morning, church. Uh, good morning, everyone that's made it and uh, in person uh, to the barn. And good morning to everyone at home. Uh, obviously, uh, a lot has happened uh, this week, uh, but uh, we've put some new uh, rules in place. Uh, we hitched the people that are here are well aware of now. Uh, we've taken some temperatures and we've changed things around a bit. Uh, the meeting uh, will have less people um, up the front, uh, but hopefully uh, we're doing this to uh, keep everyone safe and uh, that we will be able to have church both uh, in person and online. Because uh, I, I really value uh, the opportunity to come together, uh, and, uh, but it's great that uh, those of you online are able to uh, join in uh, in our meeting together. So if you'd like to bow your heads, I'm gonna open in prayer. Heavenly Father, uh, we just pray for our nation and on our world at this time as it as it is being racked uh, by this virus by this pandemic and uh, Lord God we, we ask um, in your benevolence in your mercy that you would draw this season uh, to a close that you would uh, save us uh, from this and uh, Lord God we pray uh, in particular for ourselves and our congregation here in Bewbridge, I pray that you would uh, keep us safe from harm. And uh, Lord God, I pray in the middle of this that we would be salt and light, that you would help us uh, work out our salvation with fear and trembling, that Lord God, in the midst of this, uh, that we would um, seek to be good disciples for you. And uh, Lord God, that we would work hard to be able to uh, uh, minister to those around us. And uh, Heavenly Father, uh, we, we just thank you for this opportunity to meet. And Holy Spirit, even though there's so many restraints, even though there's so many different things sort of pressing us down, Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are more than able to overcome all these uh, and do things worthy of the name of the Father. So Holy Spirit, we invite you in. We invite you into the talk, uh, into the uh, sort of worship, we invite you into the time of communion and we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would have your way. God, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, normally, uh, we invite sort of uh, uh, someone up and they uh, share with us something sort of uh, uh, to help us in the time of communion. Uh, but we're going to sort of just suspend that for a moment, just to uh, reduce the amount of people up the front. Uh, so uh, it's going to be me leading communion and uh, I've been uh, sort of uh, trawling for lots of different ideas as, uh, to, to bring something new. Um, and so this morning I just want to read, uh, read uh, there's this uh, guy called Francis Schaeffer, uh, he's uh, a real disciple uh, of Jesus and uh, he writes this um, in his book True Spirituality. What is central in the Christian message of good news? the evangel of the world. It centres in only one thing, the redemptive death of the Lord Jesus Christ. From the time of the fall and the first promise within 24 hours after the fall took place until the very end, this is the message. So we are not to be just surprised when Elijah and Moses meeting with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration had this as their key topic of conversation, says this in Luke 9. 
And behold, there they talked with him two men. They were Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory, and they spoke and continued to speak of Jesus' death, which he will accomplish in Jerusalem. Of course they talked about it, because they had a stake in it. It was important for them, not merely as a theological proposition, but the salvation of Moses and Elijah rested upon this single point, the coming death of Jesus on Calvary's cross. The disciples who were there that day had a stake in this too, because if Jesus had not died upon the cross, they would have no salvation. And let us say to each one who reads this, we have a stake in this. For there is no salvation possible to us unless Jesus died on Calvary's cross. The death of the Lord Jesus is absolutely unique. It is substitutionary. There is no death like Jesus' death. There is no parallel death to Jesus' death. This must stand as absolute in our thinking. His death on the cross, in space and time in history, had infinite value. Why? Because Jesus is God. Nothing need be added to the value of his death. Nor can anything be added. He died once and for all. So this morning, if I was prepared, it'd be in my hand. <laughs> so this morning, uh, we who meet in person, are going to take this uh, little cup and a little wafer and remember this central moment. And you're at home, whether you've got sort of bread and grape juice or uh, something else, I invite you to remember the central point of our faith. It's the death of Jesus. It is the thing that saves us. It is the thing that keeps us going. It is the thing when... Uh, Heaven's gates beckon. It is Jesus' death that will get us in. So please join with me and uh, take the bread which represents uh, Jesus' uh, body being broken. And also I invite you to take the grape juice, the wine, whatever you've got instead and remember and be impacted again and be reminded that his blood has washed away your sins, that his blood has set us free, his blood has brought us liberation. And so as we continue in this attitude of remembrance, we just invite our worship leader Tim uh, to come and bring some songs which uh, we in person uh, can't sing along to uh, but you at home you've got no excuse uh, and uh, uh, you can worship freely. Morning everyone. So I really want the focus to be right this morning, to be on him. Um, so yeah, just really set your gaze on him and lift your eyes to him.
really bold ones. Just lift the hearts to you this You say, Great, how great is our God. You are worthy, Lord.
Let us fix our gaze on you this morning, oh God. 
Jesus be the center. Lord, I thank you that you are seated on the throne. Lord, we just remember that, Lord God. That whatever trials, whatever situations we find ourselves in, Lord God, you are reigning victorious. You are on the throne, Lord God. Lord, you hold us in your hand. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that you are good. Thank you. Your mercies and your friends. Thank you, Tim. Uh, if you're here, you can uh, seat. And uh, if you're at home and you've been uh, jumping around, uh, uh, you can be uh, seated too. So, good morning. Here we are again, still in a pandemic. Um, despite all that, the uh, government has uh, said we can still meet. Um, Obviously, we put extra precautions in place, but it is good to be with uh, uh, some Christians physically uh, in this barn building, um, and it's good to be with uh, everyone at home and uh, just appreciate uh, the comments and the waves uh, and the greetings on the comments section. Uh, it's good to see, and it just lets everyone know that they're sort of part of something. Um, and uh, it's, uh, it's good to be with those physically who still kind of understand that there is something special about congregating. Uh, but there's people at home, you know, with uh, uh, perhaps uh, uh, sort of they're clinically vulnerable um, or they've, uh, 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 something else has gone on that, that, that they've just decided to stay home. And so you, with your coffee and your central heating, you know, bless you. Uh, it's, been, it's great to uh, meet with you too. Um, for those at home, uh, we don't have to say this to the people that are here, but you at home, uh, just as with kids at homeschooling, let me encourage you uh, when we have sort of virtual church to be uh, intentional. Uh, don't just sort of crawl out of bed in your dressing gown and slump in front of your phone. Uh, and, but I encourage you to get dressed, be ready, uh, be awake. Uh, have your Bibles ready and uh, don't just coast through these meetings uh, because they're going to do you less good than if you come in here with a sort of deliberate mind to receive from God. Um, it is a sign of maturity when disruption, which is at large in the world and you can't miss it, um, it's a sign of maturity when the disruption out there doesn't disturb your own spiritual disciplines and practices. It's a sign of growth when you don't let the world's worries uh, unnerve and shake you. Um, there's this uh, uh, great book called Screwtape Letters, which is uh, about this uh, uh, senior demon giving advice to a junior demon uh, about things. And uh, it says this, uh, the enemy's human soldiers have all been plainly told by him that suffering is an essential part of what he calls redemption. A faith which is destroyed 
by a war, and C.S. Lewis is writing this in the sort of the wake of the, uh, uh, the Second World War. Uh, so a faith that is destroyed by a war or a pestilence cannot really have been worth the trouble of destroying at all. And uh, C.S. Lewis sort of uh, imbibes that with this wisdom of if war, famine and pestilence destroy your faith, then you know what is there in the beginning anyway? If you are here, both physically or virtually, um, then it's a sign your faith is a little bit more grown up and uh, Satan is troubled by you. And that should be something that brings a smile to your face. If the uh, king of lies is troubled by your faith, that is a good thing. Um, as you may know, I want to spend at least January, and it might go on, uh, obviously um, most commonly classed is like the most miserable month. There's lots of different <laughs> metrics to measure, but it's often the one that comes uh, uh, at the bottom of the months that people look forward to. Um, I want to use this month to uh, enjoy Paul's happiest letter, this letter to the Philippines, this letter to the Christians in the city of Philippi. Uh, it has been great uh, at starting the reading plan. Uh, we've got copies uh, at, at the back and uh, it's online on our website. Um, and uh, we had a fascinating time on Tuesday uh, in our discipleship group as we started to look at the letter and uh, uh, to uh, grow in our discipleship. And uh, let me invite you, if you haven't started with the reading plan or the discipleship group, uh, there is still time and you're welcome to join us. Uh, now, before we dive into the book of Philippians, I wanted to remind us of another uh, heavyweight Christian writer, this great uh, thinker that loved Jesus. At the age of 28, Fyodor Dostoevsky was arrested and sentenced to death. Um, he was part of a book club and they were re reading uh, books that the state had decided were not approved. Uh, and so he was arrested and sentenced to death. Uh, at the last second, he was reprieved and he was sent, uh, 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 sentenced to prison in Siberia. Um, and uh, Dostoevsky was uh, uh, in Siberia for a number of years. And for much of that time, he had his feet and, he ha and his hands shackled. Uh, um, and uh, it says this, uh, or he tells us what his experience was like in Siberia. In winter, there was an unendurable cold. If you're in the barn today and you're slightly cold, that is nothing compared to Siberia. Uh, and uh, if you are at home uh, uh, in the central heating, uh, uh, just imagine uh, going outside forever. Um, so he goes on, all the floors were rotten, the filth, and we're not just talking about dust, the filth on the floors was an inch thick and one was always slipping and falling. We were packed like herrings in a barrel with no room to turn around. It was impossible not to behave like pigs. Fleas, lice and black beetles were everywhere. So I think Dostoevsky gives us a sense of what it was like to be in prison uh, in Siberia at this time. Sounds pretty grim, doesn't it? 
It's definitely not something to seek and go after. It's something not you're looking for, volunteer for. But many scholars say that this was the turning point in Dostoevsky's life. That it was actually, for his art, the best thing that ever happened to him. It transformed him. When he went into prison, he was kind of vain and petulant. Perhaps you know people like that. Um, and perhaps the solution for them is uh, a few years in Siberia. Um, but when he came out, he was serious and confident. He was a different man than when he went in. Um, and it seems, if you look at his writings after that imprisonment, um, he got this profound appreciation of suffering. You know, he, he understood it. He grown sensitive to grief. It sort of tenderised his heart. He had this renewed appreciation of faith and love. And you find it in his words, in his books. Suddenly this vain, petulant man who took offence at everything suddenly became generous and loving and listening. Now, uh, uh, I've cocked up this morning uh, in all my other preparations to come up. I haven't got the quote that I was going to bring, but uh, uh, fortunately, some of the quote uh, is here. I was going to read out uh, uh, his greatest work, The Brothers Karamazov. There's this really generous, loving uh, uh, paragraph spoken by one of the uh, Orthodox priests as he, he sort of welcomes people in and he says, uh, essentially, sort of paraphrasing, goes, you know, uh, I'm bewildered by sin and it's something uh, uh, that makes me want to respond. And it's how should we respond? Should we respond aggressively and forcefully? How do you deal with sin? And the answer that this priest gives is that it, the way to respond is loving humility. Loving humility is marvellously strong. The strongest of all things. And there is nothing else like it. And you find in this book, again and again, this appreciation, not of violence, not of strength, not of hardiness, but of sensitivity, of gentleness, of tenderness. Prison, with all its atrocities, took this man, Dostoevsky, and made him human. Friends, like you, I don't deliberately seek out hardship. I don't invite pain into my life unnecessarily. Given half a chance, I will take a paracetamol. But we must recognise that our Heavenly Father is in the habit of bending even disaster to his will. It is something that he is familiar with and does again and again. Just as the Scutet letters refer to, our whole faith is centred on the moment of redemption. And that moment of redemption doesn't come with a clever thought, doesn't come with an equation. Life isn't solved by anything other than Jesus' death. His heart reds heart-wrenching execution. That is the middle of our faith. And when uh, redemption by death is the middle of what we believe, it should change 
how we see the rest of our lives. If that is the moment when we come and celebrate communion and then we remember Jesus' death, uh, if that is the moment that we are told to focus in, that churches have been remembering for 2,000 years, then perhaps that has implications for how we live our lives and how uh, we deal with life at large. Few of us, thankfully, will face Siberian experiences. Even we who are meet this morning and have to go out into the cold when we go home, none of that touches it. But today, we have all been negatively impacted by this third lockdown. Very few of us are skipping and dancing around at home because, yes, things are getting worse. Parents are homeschooling. And it seems to have gone up a level. If my own experience with uh, my wife and my kids is anything to go by, school have upped their game. And this is, means parents have upped their game. I've seen uh, uh, photos uh, on social media of the packs the schools have sent out. My kids are now uh, uh, sort of watching uh, and learning from their teachers for most of the school day now. And it has increased. And what it can mean is that there's a degree of stress and anxiety of helping that along. And workers suddenly have uncertainty. Suddenly things that were in place before uh, change. Uh, businesses find it hard to be uh, economically viable when everything is locked down. The poor struggle to make ends meet. You know, we love to shop round for a deal for our weekly shopping and now uh, we're sort of reduced to uh, sort of getting stuff online and it's harder to do that. All the shops that do deals, suddenly you are restricted in your choices. The lonely are more isolated. For those of us with families, we may not be thankful for them during lockdown, but it is something to keep us occupied. Uh, and stimulated, but those that are uh, uh, perhaps living alone, it can feel uh, really uh, the worst of all, just being cut off from uh, the rest of society. And the sensitive, I don't know if you've noticed this, the people that sort of are keenly aware of their feelings and uh, uh, those of others around them, uh, they can imagine the worst. Even I started this. I'm generally an optimist, you know. Generally, uh, uh, I, I think, you know what, uh, just around the corner, it's all going to be fine. Uh, I had a call from my dad uh, uh, during the week, like late, late one night, and he sounded really uh, uh, sombre. And I was like, that's it. Like, my entire family's been wiped out by COVID, and he's the last man standing. Uh, and it was amazing how quickly that thought uh, rose to my mind. It would never have done before this, but suddenly it was something that I was suddenly keen on. But apparently they'd lost their WhatsApp app on their phone and they didn't know where it had gone and, and we sort of went through that. And I overcame this sort of uh, 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 panic to anger uh, to uh, tranquility that I had to deal uh, uh, with that. But it's interesting how these lockdowns affect us. Whatever our experience is, we must admit and allow God to work in us at this time. Because he has a work in us 
He has a work to do in us at this time. He wants to bring goodness. He wants to do something in you. He always knew this was coming. This lockdown may have surprised Boris, but it didn't surprise God. And he has something to do in each of us. He has a work to achieve. It may be, like Dostoevsky, that this moment allows the vanities and obscenities in our lives to leach out. You know, these habits and attitudes that we had acquired, that they would go away. Or it may be that we discover a renewed patience with people. You know, suddenly we see them not as a nuisance or a tool to be used for our own opportunities, but as people, as people that we want to work with, that we want to help. This pandemic is an opportunity to show kindness, not something where you do something to benefit yourself, but out of a sense of love, you are kind to other people. Perhaps you learn to be gentle, you know, a little bit sensitive. It is easy when you want something to achieve to ride roughshod over other people, but how this pandemic is a moment to feel kindness and gentleness and to think, how does someone else feel about what I'm saying, about what I'm doing? If you've got a Bible, turn to Philippians chapter 1, verse 12. says this, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains to Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. When Paul writes this to the Philippians, he is in prison. It is likely that he is in shackles in Rome. He is in the uh, city that is the most idolatrous, the most powerful, uh, the most wayward in all sorts of sinful ways. It is foreign and massive, and uh, uh, it is the centre of the empire at the time. And there is Paul the Jew trying to teach about the Saviour, Jesus. Why is he there? Well, he was accused of bringing in a Gentile into the Jewish temple. And he was innocent, but could he get a, free, a fair trial? No, he couldn't. I wonder how you would react being taken to a completely foreign culture where you were being falsely accused and you feared that you would not get a fair trial. Paul handles it pretty well. He saw God at work, even when he was perfectly confined. And you know what? Even there, in that place of shackles and imprisonment in a foreign city, he sought to encourage others. He thought of other people and their mindset. 
He thought of other people and their struggles. Where he was in lockdown, he cared for those around him. I wonder if your ears pricked up when Paul said that the entire palace guard was aware of his faith. When I read that, I wondered what that looked like. What does it look like for all these hardened soldiers around him to be acutely aware that this little unimpressive man is sold out for Jesus? You've got a Bible, turn to Philippians chapter 2. So I, I, I want to just sort of uh, colour it in. So Philippians chapter 2 verse 13 says this. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfil his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. And Paul was in the middle of that warped and crooked generation. What will happen then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labour in vain. But even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice, that's how Paul felt as he sat in prison. That is how uh, torturous it was. And service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. I wonder if you can hear that mindset, that way of thinking, that even in this place of prison, uh, Paul seeks to be an example. He even seeks to shine like a star. When you read those words, it's very difficult to imagine when Paul's in prison that all the palace guard learn about his faith because he's always whinging. I'm a Christian, you shouldn't treat me like this. I don't deserve this. I'm innocent. Why do you always treat me so badly? This rule is all thick and lumpy. These shackles hurt my feet. Can you not turn the heating up? I am cold in prison. Can you imagine him saying those things while he's writing to the Philippians? Can you imagine him scowling at all these Gentile heathen soldiers who are, who are being uh, deferent to him, who aren't uh, uh, treating him well? Because he's an apostle of God after all. Can you imagine him being negative in that way, having written to the Philippines like that? It's almost impossible to imagine him like that. If he's writing to the Philippines like that and he's thinking of them, you can imagine a very gracious Paul in prison. Now, I don't know whether you've met a palace guard. I have not, as far as I'm aware, met palace guard. But I've met police officers. I have met custody officers. I meet uh, uh, soldiers and border police almost every day. And I know that just preaching to them is going to turn them off. It's going to make them sceptical and cynical. They've heard it all before. You know, if you just say, don't you know who I am, they'll just roll their eyes because they've heard it all before. Soldiers are experienced in dealing with liars and thieves and uh, people who think they're bigger than they are. It is almost, it is a, uh, a sort of a 
it is an offshoot of the job that you just sneer at people that suddenly imagine themselves all that. And so when you take into account Paul's writing, when you take into account his faith, when you take into account his setting, it is, seems very likely to me that he would have behaved very graciously in that place. I imagine he spoke kindly to the young soldiers who were dealing with him. I imagine that he respected the senior soldiers who were in charge, who had power. And you see that in some of Luke's accounts in Acts. There is a sense of understanding of power and authority. He was in prison for a little while. It is very easy to imagine him praying for troubled soldiers, that they trusted him very quickly. I wonder if he gave out pastoral advice, help them in their troubled home lives, dealing with the domestic issues that a soldier uh, would still uh, come across. With the Philippines sending him food and resources, I love the idea that as the Philippines were generous to him, he was able to be generous to the other prisoners. Perhaps he was generous to the soldiers as well. Uh, the, the way of payment was a bit different then, and so that opportunity may have arisen. I suggest it is this way that Paul's faith swept through the, the palace guard. I suggest it is this way, his graciousness and patience and tenderness and love that caused his faith to sweep through the palace guard. They had not seen a faith like this before. Paul lent on the Holy Spirit and used this as an opportunity uh, uh, to do good. His presence confronted all the soldiers with their own faith or lack of it. This was not a hardened criminal. This was not a religious nut. This was not uh, uh, someone that was losing his marbles. This was a peaceful man of God and there was an appreciation for him. Friends, we must not feel that God is on the back foot in this pandemic. We need not feel that we might not survive it. Jesus, just as he was when he ascended, he is at the right hand of the Father. He is the King in heaven and we expect him at any moment. His kingdom is coming closer every day. We are nearer the consummation of the kingdom of Jesus now than the world has ever been before. And we should be encouraged. And we should be settled by this. And so I suggest, like Paul, that we lean on the Holy Spirit in these times. Know the power of that humble love. Oh, I wish I could read out to you the fuller quote, uh, but it is powerful. There is nothing like humble love to disarm the mighty and uh, confuse the belligerent. Both Dostoevsky and Paul knew lockdown and they knew that humble love was the best 
approach. And so, as I come to an end, I, uh, my, uh, uh, my invite, invitation to you this morning is quite simple. Speak gently to those around you. Allow this pandemic to break your heart for what breaks God's heart. Be generous to the people struggling. It's not just about you surviving, it's an opportunity to encourage other people. Be tenacious in prayer. You probably spend a lot of time planning and worrying uh, and trying to think of contingency plans for different eventualities. Well, perhaps spend an equal amount just praying. Consulting God's word on the situation. And let us be thankful. Be thankful in praise. In every situation we can give thanks. It doesn't matter uh, whether we are in East Surrey, in ICU with COVID, or whether we are at the comfort in our own home, uh, drinking hot chocolate. There is times, all the time, to be thankful and praise Him. And so the invitation this morning is, during this pandemic, it's not a case of just getting through it. It's an invitation to, as Paul says, shine like stars. If he could shine like stars in prison, if Dostoevsky could shine like a star in Siberia, then perhaps in lockdown version three, we can shine like a star in Bubush and beyond, and that we can, uh, our faith can become clear throughout the palace guard. Please bow your heads. Heavenly Father, I, I thank you uh, that our faith isn't simply a crutch that just helps us stand up. But Lord God, it is the Word of God. It is something that advances, that we are part of the Kingdom of God that is ever growing and will win in the end. Lord God, I pray for each of us as we uh, endure this pandemic. God, I pray for our faith that it would grow, that it would increase, that it would be more important to us, that it had greater significance in our daily lives. And Lord God, I pray that as our faith grows, that we uh, would bless other people, that the palace guard around us would uh, be very well aware of the vitality of the hope we have within. Lord God, I pray that you help us to be tender and gentle. Help us to be patient and kind. Help us to be generous so uh, that we uh, grow in our discipleship and that other people uh, uh, get to hear about you too. Lord God, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.